0: It's, it's a good day to be here. I'm really glad you're here. Football, schmuntball, right? <laughs> yeah, okay. So you'll get to most of the game. Um, but we are, we're in week two of a series about the vineyard values, and John kicked us off last week, and he shared uh, an image with us, kind of this, this reset ourselves, where are we beginning image. And the image has, it's coming. Wait for it. Wait for it. <laughs> Hi, Sonia. <laughs> now I put her on the spot, and I said her name. That's worse. Okay. <laughs> Good. And this image in the middle, right, is is what this whole thing is about. This whole series we're doing about our values and about where we're headed, means nothing if we forget that it starts because we have a foundational value that Jesus and relationships are what matter most here, right? Okay, okay, people, it's not right. That's fine. So, so today the value I'm going to talk about, I'm going to start us off here with this biblically and culturally thoughtful value and I got to pick which one I wanted. That's nice, right? And I, I picked this one because this is what initially drew me into mercy. Um, I, I like to think. I like it. I like thinking about the Bible even when it ticks me off. I like thinking about culture even when that ticks me off. Uh, thinking for me, I'm an INTJ. Anybody else? Yeah, hey Oh, lots of you. Surprising. Uh, INTJ, which means thinking for me is like warm and soft and comforting, and and if I feel like I'm thinking clearly about something, everything's all right. The whole problem with that, with with thinking about being biblically and culturally thoughtful, is that that's not even what it's about. <laughs> Nobody cares if you are like thinking about buying them a birthday present. You don't tell somebody. I thought about visiting you in the hospital. <laughs> Don't do that, right? That's, that's called being rude. So thinking, <laughs> thinking about being biblically and culturally thoughtful is not enough. It's not what this is about. This is about embodying that. It's about taking what we think about the Bible and what we think about culture and then doing something with it. Okay, if we're not doing that, then this value is okay. And, and this is not easy. This is a challenging task. One, it's challenging just to think about what the word biblical means and who gets to decide. And how do they get to decide? And then once they decide, what do they do with it? It's, it's challenging that uh, to read the Bible and just frankly be troubled by what I read, to let it mess with me a little bit. That's hard. Uh, it's challenging to live in 2019 and see culture and see people and and have questions asked that are really hard questions about politics, about power, about sexuality and so on and so on and it sometimes feels like being a christian makes it even harder, not easier to answer those questions. Have you felt this? Yeah. Okay. If you hadn't I'd actually be nervous. <laughs> That's called not being a christian. Right so Jesus Jesus is pretty clear. If you want to do this life, you got you got to live in the conflict and that tension. That this is going to have a tension and that's what it's about. So so today here's what I hope for us. I hope that as we talk today, we try to cover this this bridge from thinking about the Bible, thinking about culture and give us some some groundwork for for being doers of this of this value. Does that make sense? Let's be doers. Okay. So, I'm going to tell you a couple stories today. One is one of my stories. It's about a a really just transformational teacher in-service that I attended. Can going to happen, teachers. Where are the teachers in the room? All right, people. Thank you, teachers. They're just, mm. man, you guys, good week, I hope, hard week, I'm sure. You do really important work. I love you. I pray for you all the time. Uh, so I had a really a transformational teacher in-service moment, and then I'm also going to tell you about my favorite Bible story of all time. I know last week John Marsden was like, I say that about every Bible story. No, I don't. I have one, and it's this one. So so we're going to tell you that story. And I hope that these two stories function in a way that they function for me. And that was to give me the momentum to get from thinking to doing about this stuff. Okay, So that's my hope. That's what I hope Jesus can do with us today. All right. So... First story, I, had, I just left my, my job teaching at a public high school, and I moved to a Christian middle school for the only reason was like they didn't care what state my teaching license was from, and I didn't want to pay a bunch of money to updo it, so, <laughs> so I was like, okay. It was not spiritual. Um, and I was gearing up for back to school. I'm getting ready. I'm like mentally preparing for that half-hour training where they tell you how to use your email. Let me just say, nothing makes you feel more trusted and empowered to go mold young minds than someone explaining email to you for half an hour. I, <laughs> oh, I love you, teachers. So I'm gearing up, I, I get in the car to go to school and I go through the Dunn Brothers drive-through to get one of those uh, you can do it coffees. You know these ones? <laughs> like it just, it just encourages, you can do the day when you got this coffee. And so I get there, put on a name tag, I find a seat very close to the exit, right? This is where you want to sit, very close to the exit. And some guy gets up and he starts talking. And to be real honest, I'm like making a to-do list about the stuff I have to get done and kind of resenting the fact that he's here, <laughs> taking up my time. And, and all of a sudden he says something, uh, gets my attention. He goes, you are not a thinking thing. And I was like, what now? Uh, he has now poked at my identity bubble. <laughs> right? he's, he's saying something that I'm really all immediately, immediately, I'm like, how defensive do I need to be right now? You are not a thinking thing. And, and he goes on, and I'm with him now, and he goes on, and he says, yeah, we like to believe the idea that we, uh, we are what we think, kind of pooh-poohs Descartes. And he says, Christians especially operate this way. Okay, We believe that if we can deposit really good information into our brains, we can become Christ-like. We learn about discipleship and evangelism. We go become disciples and evangelizers. And that's just the way we do things. And we wish that it worked. But it doesn't. Okay, we we are not what we think. We're not even what we do, necessarily, which we also would like that to be true. Our behaviors are actually driven more than anything else in this life by our desires, by our deepest longings. Okay, and and I looked, I remember looking down at my You Can Do It coffee, (laughs) and I was like, yeah, I was like, you can keep talking. (laughs) And and I won't like, I won't do the whole day for you, but, but he went on to talk about how desires work. How do they work? We, this phrase, right, we love because God first loved us is not a nice sentiment. He's not even talking about emotions. He's not talking about how it feels to be. He's saying that our gut level, fundamental longings, desires, hungers, and aches are based in that relationship, that we are made to be lovers. And then this is not a new idea, right? People have been saying this forever. But what he did, what I really loved was he got real practical about it. He says our longings are not desired are not based on what we think we love even, but they're cultivated by the habits we actually practice while we live our lives. Today, tomorrow, Tuesday morning, Thursday afternoon, the practices we actually invest in shape those desires and those desires tell us who we are. Okay, then. He spent like an hour talking about the mall. <laughs> And I was like, oh. So he's talking about when you go to the mall, right? The mall tells you, this cultural mall tells you, you need things, you are not enough, but I can help you with that. The mall tells you that where you are broken, there's something you can buy. The mall tells you, think about the space when you walk in the mall, right? It's light-filled, it's beautiful. It asks you to worship it. You look up when you walk in a mall. There's high ceilings, right? The mall is telling you, things the mall does something to you and if we get real about all of our practices that's true everything we do does something to us and so this is where he says as a christian community as a church or a christian school our job is to reorient to cultivate desires towards jesus okay this does not happen with thinking alone it happens when we discipline we practically discipline we do the work of shaping our desires. And only after the direction of our hearts is set on the living person of Jesus can we navigate the Bible or culture clearly. Okay, now, at this point, I'm, I'm glad I chose to like near the exit seat because I'm just quietly weeping. <laughs> everybody is a reformed school, so everybody else is just kind of like taking notes. And I'm like, <laughs> and, and I was, like a little bit wondering what's going on, but I'm just weeping. I'm weeping because I know at this point that I have totally thought of myself as a thinking thing. I believe this, growing up in a Christian household, I believed that I really did want to do the right thing. I wanted to care about what the Bible said. I wanted to to go into my friends' groups and my school and whatever, and I wanted to live like a Christian. And if you asked me why, I probably would have said something like, in obedience to Jesus, right? In a way to honor Jesus. And something about that never really felt right. Now, I'm not saying it's bad. It's not bad, but I'm saying it's not enough. Okay, because the reality is that anytime you separate this idea that the first job you have as a Christian is to receive the love of Jesus in a deep and meaningful way, and then everything you do comes out of that love, that reception of desire for Jesus, that's the only way you stay away from religion and in a relationship, right? We gotta, we gotta prioritize that. We gotta know that the reason we do this is because we are deeply, deeply loved by Jesus. So the next story I'm gonna tell you, I think this is why I love it, is it it answers this question, if the first invitation of Jesus is to be deeply loved, how do we encounter it? How do we get after it? So uh, by the way, before we go any further, if you're into like that idea about being shaped by your desires, the guy I was listening to is kind of a bigwig. I didn't know that or I probably wouldn't have listened to him. (laughs) That's sassy. It's a bad attitude. But his name, his name is Jamie Smith, and he wrote a book called You Are What You Love. Uh, If you read one book this year, read it. Read it. It's really good. Um, Yeah, side note. Okay, so we're going to go to Luke 7. I'm going to read it once, and then we'll go back and we'll kind of talk through it. Yeah, I'm going to get a drink first. I've never done this before. Just get a drink while everyone watches. Mm. Thank you. Refreshing. Okay. So here we go. Luke seven thirty-six to 50. <laughs> you can tell I'm not the normal preacher. All right. <laughs> Preach, she says. All right. Here we go. Here we go. It says, one of the Pharisees invited him to eat with him. He entered the Pharisee's house. This is Jesus entered the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And a woman in the town who was a sinner that's that's her description, found out that Jesus was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house. She brought an alabaster jar of fragrant oil. She stood behind him at his feet, weeping, and began to wash his feet with her tears. She wiped his feet with the hair of her head, kissing them and anointing them with the fragrant oil. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, I like to think there was some, like, you know, that man noise. (sighs) Ladies do it too. Ladies do it too. If he were a prophet, he would know who and what kind of woman this is who's touching him. He would know that she's a sinner. And then Jesus replied to him, and I would pay so much money to hear Jesus' tone of voice as he says this. I just, oh, it kills me. He says, Simon, I have something to say to you. Teacher, he said, say it. Jesus tells him a story. A creditor had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And since they could not pay it back, he graciously forgave them both. And so which of them will love him more? And Simon answered, I suppose the one he forgave more. You have judged correctly, he told him. And then turning to the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she with her tears has washed my feet and wiped them with her hair. "'You gave me no kiss, but she hasn't stopped kissing my feet since I came in. "'You did not anoint my head with olive oil, "'but she has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. "'Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, "'and that's why she loved much. "'But the one who's forgiven little loves little.'" then he says to her, "'Your sins are forgiven.'" And those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, "'Who's this man who even forgives sins?' And again, he says to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. It's a beautiful story, right? It's a beautiful story. Oh, man. I, I, this is what I love about working with kids. If you, were, if you were a bunch of kids right now, I would ask you to do something like, let's lay on the floor and close your eyes, and, and I would spray some perfume in the air, and then someone would have an allergy. But <laughs> the point is... This story, this story is just begging you to involve your imagination as we think about it. Think about it. What does it smell like? What does it sound like? What does it feel like? Okay, we're gonna go through this a little slower, and I'm gonna point out some things. And, and I really would like you to do that as much as you are able in your grown-up way to, to turn your imagination on. Okay, because there's something to feel in this story, there's something to think and feel. Um, yeah, let's pray that. I wanna pray that with us, and then we'll go through it. So Jesus. Everything you've got in the story for us, everything you want to say to us, everything you want to shape in us, every desire you want to wake up in us, would you come and do it? Amen. All right, so we start. Um, Before this happens, there's kind of an assumption that is fair and safe to make about this text, and that assumption is that this woman has probably heard of Jesus before this. She's not walking around looking for a dinner party. No, no. (laughs) Like she has probably heard of this Jesus who is going from town to town and he's he's speaking a message. And the message is that, hey, sinners, you are forgiven. Even big ones. (laughs) You are forgiven. You are loved. There is hope for you. There is joy. There is peace. And a woman like her would would be not used to being told that. So she knows. She has heard this message. and, And Jesus is going to Simon's house and she finds out about it that phrase found out about it is right like like she found him um last winter i i tried to do kind of this thing like try to go find somebody who really meant something to me in my faith journey and i went with my sister courtney to see pete Dens. and uh (laughs) at the end we got our book signed and courtney's like let's get a picture and i was like no no that's super weird and as you can see from my face i really enjoyed getting the picture (laughs) Oh, she texted me later and I was like, oh my god!" <laughs> but I was. That's exactly how I felt. I was like, it's happening. I'm here. <sighs> and I show you that picture, one, just because that's funny. And two, this is how I think she felt. I think she had heard some message of hope and I think she was, she was pumped. And she's going to go and she's going to meet this Jesus and she's going to hear what he has to say. She might not talk to him, right? She knows who she is. She stands in the room, and then what happens next, what happens next leads to this thing where she ends up crying. I want you right, pay attention to this. What happens, she shows up in the room waiting to meet her hero, and here's what she sees. He is, he's allowed in the door. He is not greeted with a kiss. No water is given to him to wash his feet. No oil is given to him to anoint him. And this is a big deal. This is not a mistake. This is not an oversight. This is a pointed attack at who Jesus is. A great rabbi would be entered and welcomed into a house with honor. He is being dishonored in a real strong way, right? It's like having, a, I don't know, a Minnesota senator at your house. You let him in the door. You don't get up from the recliner. The TV's on. They're not here. You would feel something, right? She would feel something. <laughs> sure. Sure, right? She's in. Everybody's in. We're all in. So she's watching this. Jesus comes in, and then Jesus does a real Jesus-y thing. <sighs> you wish you are like, half as smart as Jesus. Man, he just sits down. He just sits down. And now, just sitting down may seem like a small thing, but it was not. By sitting down first, Jesus was assuming the role of the eldest. This is like a cultural hoo-ha. Uh, where the cultural rule is that the oldest person in the room would get to sit down first. And it is very unlikely, I don't know for sure, it's very unlikely that 30-year-old Jesus is actually the eldest. But the message he just got from Simon is, you are no great rabbi in my mind, and Jesus knows who he is. And so he walks in, and he sits down. Okay, now this, this is where the sound of tears starts filtering. Right, she can't take it anymore. She cannot take it anymore. She has had a life of pain, and Jesus has told her as a solution. She knows him as a savior, as a man of honor, and he's being treated as a man of no honor. And she can't take it, and she starts crying. And she knows in this moment that something is wrong and it needs to be made right. I would guess her tears are somewhat tears of powerlessness. Who is she in this space? Nobody. What does she have to offer? Nothing. She brought this oil so that after he was washed, she could anoint his head. But now he's dirty, he's not washed, he can't be anointed. She's got this perfume, nothing to do, and tears are falling. Okay, and this is where, I want to be half as cool as this lady too. She does something utterly courageous, okay, and very, very costly. She has to make this right and she takes her tears, the only thing she's got to offer right now, and she goes to the feet of Jesus, and she starts to wash his feet. Let's not get too dramatic. about. Like, this is not a beautiful moment. This is a gross moment. Okay, think about this. She's, she's got wet tears on muddy feet. The whole room is watching her. How do you feel if you're sitting in this room right now? <laughs> You've just tried to insult someone, and it's not working, and now everyone's uncomfortable, and there's muddy tear foot stuff happening. It's gross. Okay, And, and I, think, I think that this might have been a moment where like, Jesus would have had every right to cut her off. He would have had every right in a graceful way. Christians like to do this. In a graceful way to be like, that's enough. <laughs> like, maybe we could step outside. No, he doesn't. He doesn't. She's crying. It's getting weird. And it's time to dry his feet. And she would have been wearing a dress, you know, like a long dress, lots of material. And she she doesn't choose to use that, because this lady, she's a go-big-or-go-home kind of gal. And so she takes this one step further. I love her so much. She takes this one step further. She takes her hair, and she lets it down. And this is another costly decision. See, to do this gets you divorced with no financial settlement. To do this, to let your hair down in public, you can get divorced. They can leave you. They can abandon you for that. It's also an act that is saved for someone on their wedding night. So regardless of what the eyes in the room are thinking right now, this woman is saying to Jesus, I choose you. Right? I am loyal to you. I can, I can join you in your suffering. I can join you in your pain. I can join you. This is all she can do right now is be a mess, <laughs> cry some tears, and say to Jesus with this hair, I belong to you. I'm yours. Okay, now I want to ask you, have you ever shown up in a space where, where Jesus was invited but not welcome? Okay, if anything this woman is telling us, it's how to do that. I think, uh, I don't know, I think we do this. I think Christians, we show up in spaces where Jesus is invited, in theory, and not welcomed. And sometimes we don't know what to do, and I think this lady has chosen to enter into suffering with Jesus, and that's big. Okay, so again, Jesus, it's time to to cut it off. There's too much discomfort in the room. Can you feel, you know, that feeling in your guts where you're just like, make it stop? (laughs) he can stop. And now it's Simon who has had enough. He can't take it anymore. So it says, verse 39 and 40, the Pharisee saw him had invited him said to himself, this man, right? If he were a prophet, he would know who and what this kind of woman is who's touching him. And this is where Jesus, again, he has every right to go, to go off on Simon. He has every right to be offended. He has every right. Simon is supposed to play by the rules. He's supposed to know what the rules are and he's supposed to play by them. And he's the one who hasn't. And this is where I wonder, again, the tone of Jesus' voice, I bet, was gentle. And he just tells him a story, right? A story about two, uh, a creditor with two debtors. And this word debtor, if you were a rabbi, you would be real sure about one thing, and that's you had a debt to God. And the word debtor was the same word that, was, that was used to use the word sin. Okay, so to be a debtor and to be a sinner, same word. So the point is not lost on Simon. He is no dummy, (laughs) right? Simon's no dummy. He knows that in this story, there are two debtors, meaning there are two sinners in the room, and I am like 99% sure he knows. He knows. The point of the story is that he is one of the debtors, one of the sinners. And so Jesus, right, he answers the question. He's correct, smart, way to go, smart guy, right? Way to go. And he says, Jesus says, you've judged correctly. And this is where Jesus does my favorite thing in the whole story, right? He, he turns to look at the woman while he's talking to Simon. I've done that as a teacher, <laughs> usually in anger. So <laughs> anyway, but, but he turns to look at the woman and he's talking to someone else. And, and my guess is that the, the gaze of his eyes was intended to also ask Simon a question, right? He says, do you see this woman? Do you really see her? Look at her, look at her. Simon, you are missing out on something, right? You are missing out. This woman is doing something that you are not, and you're missing it. And so he looks at her, he, right? He lists off these things. He's, this is like Jesus, no turning back. He is now pointing out in public that he's had really bad hospitality. Would you do that at someone's house? <laughs> I came here and the food was terrible. What? Ugh. <laughs> right? He's, he's over polite. He's, he's like, Simon, wake up. Wake up, here's all these, Right, you gave me no kiss, she hasn't stopped kissing me. You didn't annoy my head, she has anointed my feet. And therefore I tell you, her many sins are forgiven, and that is why she loves so much. Now, as Christians, for a long time here, I found it really hard to to have any sympathy for Simon. Okay, But my favorite thing about the Bible is that sometimes when you let a story come back to you, you read it again, and you let it, let it tick you off a little bit. You try to ask it, like, why do I hate this guy so much? Uh, and I've realized over the years that a little bit I hate Simon because, frankly, it's easy to be Simon. <laughs> it's, it's easy. I want to be this woman. I want to be that extravagant with my affection for Jesus. I want to be that uninhibited with my repentance but so often I'm Simon, and Simon, I bet, would have considered himself really biblically and culturally thoughtful. Super well-versed in scripture, up-to-date on rabbinic law, devout even, devoted. Okay, and his caution is exactly the same as ours today. If we do all this stuff about being thoughtful, and at any point we ignore the reality of who Jesus is and the reality of who I am, and we forget that we, our deepest, deepest need is for love and forgiveness from him. We are just manipulating religion. And this is a, this is a caution for all of us. <laughs> like, be in love with Jesus. Be in desperate need of Jesus. Because otherwise, you're missing out, right? You're the person standing while somebody else is sitting at the feet of Jesus, being filled up with faith and peace and love. And you're, you're Simon, missing the point. Okay. So, yeah, let's talk about let's talk about these two stories. I'm going to be as clear as I can be about about the invitation in each of them. First of all, which one comes first? The invitation to receive from Jesus, the invitation to to practice loving Jesus. If you try to do this without first receiving this, you will fail. Every time you will fail. So so the invitation that Jesus offers, now he offered it to who? To both to Simon and to the woman. At right? no point was he like, Simon, it's out for you. Two debtors forgave them both. Okay, forgave them both. He says that. And so here's like a, a moment for you today. However much you want to love Jesus, however much you want that, that's how much you got to be willing to offer up your own vulnerability to Jesus. you got to offer up your own sin to Jesus. Right? If you're unsure about how much Jesus loves you, think about how much he's forgiven you for. Right? I know, I know churches use sin to shame people. I know, right, that is not what we're doing. Jesus says, to get all this love for me, depend on me. Ask of me what you need. And so, so I want to caution you, right, don't be afraid of your sin. Don't pretend like it's not there. Ask Jesus to do something with it. Okay. After that, right, after this acknowledgement of our need for Jesus, then I think Jamie Smith's invitation comes, up, comes back. Because if we're going to navigate a whole lifetime of being biblically and culturally thoughtful, we got to stay in love with Jesus. Okay, And the way that we stay in love with Jesus is not thinking about staying in love with Jesus, it's practicing being in love with Jesus. Which is why what you're doing when you like sit your hineys in this chair, I don't know why I said the hiney, <laughs> middle school teacher, middle school here. when you sit in this space, this is a big deal. What you are doing is you are saying to Jesus that I am taking myself and my consumer mindset and my I'm in control of my time mindset and you're saying, no, Jesus, this is your time. You're reframing your desires. It's a big deal. Okay, showing up is a big deal. Uh, another thing we do when we come here, right, when we serve, this is a big deal. When you make coffee, when you, when you uh, run around with toddlers, when you do all the stuff that we do here to care for each other, it's a big deal. You are training your body. You're training your gut instincts that we are not consumers. We are more than that, right? We are, we are here to give. Jesus gave us what? Jesus said, come live in a kingdom of light with me. Come have eternal life. Come be one with me and the Father. When you take all that, you give it, right? We are given things into giving. So when you serve, you're fighting, and, you're fighting a desire that you gotta be just a consumer. You're more than that. Uh, we, could, we could do this all day. Small groups. When you go to small groups, when you invite others into community, right? what have you been invited into? Think about this. right? The Trinitarian relationship, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit that has existed for all of time, this giving and receiving of love. This is the kind of love that created the universe. You're invited into that. And if you know how invited into that you are, you're going to want to take that and you're going to want to offer it to somebody else. Okay, but don't try to do this without experiencing this. Again, yeah, in a minute here we're going to sing, and actually, worship team, you can kind of start heading up here. When we sing, we reorient our desires. We do not worship ourselves. We worship God to train ourselves that he's the one who wor- is worth it. He's the one who's worthy of worship. Again, like thinking about these things and doing them are different. So, yeah, yeah. Here's my my big ask of you. If you're going to do one thing today, be a receiver, right? Be a receiver. Ask Jesus while we're singing, while we're praying, during whatever time here today, ask Jesus what he has for you. He has a lot. He has a lot. Be this woman. Sit at the, the feet of Jesus. Enter into his suffering if you need to, right? Jesus suffers with us. And get forgiven. Get healed, and then after that, right after that we do the other stuff, but right now in this moment, please, please, please lean in to if, you have a, if you're feeling any kind of desire, any kind of stirring, any kind of drawing towards Jesus, he wants to give you something.